Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning. Good morning. It is good to be with you. How are y'all doing this morning? Yeah? Oh, it's good to see you guys. Well, my name's Heather. Um, to those of you that are new, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, we just want to welcome you this morning. Who here has heard the phrase, e pluribus unum? Who's ever heard of that phrase? We have a picture up here. You know, it's on most of our coins. In Latin, it means one, out of many, one. So out of many, one. It's in Latin. And from the beginning of our country, it has been one of our mottos in the United States of America. And obviously so because unity has been of utmost importance from the beginning of our country's history. And it is one of the most pressing issues in our world today. I mean, it only takes a second, right, to turn on the TV, on the news, and, and scan the headlines to just see how divided this world is. And the question I think on many of our hearts is, how do we get along? <laughs> how do we get along? How can we come together? But, you know, try as we might, culture only really has a few tactics for unity and peace. And, and you see some of these extremes like passivity or dominance. You see either let's just erase the differences uh, by ignoring them. You know, maybe they'll just go away <laughs> if we just ignore them. Or uh, we stamp them out by forcing everyone to be the same. And neither of which really has ever achieved unity, at least lasting true unity in our world, because they are just external solutions to deep, deep internal issues, right? See, God has achieved his purposes of real unity in a totally different way, in a totally different way. God does not erase our differences or ignore them. He preserves our diversity while, while bringing us into a whole new humanity, a whole new humanity. And it's actually why he came to earth. See, I want you to think of this as we, we talk about this passage today. You know, unity is not primarily a social issue. Not primarily. And it's not primarily a political issue. And it is not primarily a racial issue. It is first and foremost a gospel issue. It is a gospel issue, guys. You know, the world's efforts, like we said, to ensure peace and unity, it, it just doesn't last. We try, but it doesn't last because the moment that we tear down one dividing wall, we erect another one. <laughs> Whether it's inside of ourselves, we just end up replacing it with something else. If you've ever said to yourself, and I, oof, this was convicting to me, if you've ever said the words, those people... <laughs> right? If you've ever said the word, those people, they're what's wrong with the world. If they just got it together, if they just saw the truth, then, you know, the world wouldn't be as messed up as it is. Uh, but whatever causes us, and this is so important, whatever causes us to look down on somebody else, no matter the reason, and no matter the justification, is, is why we still struggle with these deep divides in our world and in our hearts, in our hearts. We need to be reminded of what Jesus came to do. You know, radical unity is actually linked 
to the good news of the gospel of Jesus. I mean, it is, it is the fruit of the gospel of Jesus. So Jesus came. I mean, we know this from even last week. Jesus came to foremost restore our connection to God, which is what Michael just said, that vertical orientation. But, but then between us, also between us and others, that horizontal orientation, he came to reconcile our differences without erasing them. And he came to make e pluribus unum, right? To make many into one. In Jesus, our differences are no longer what divide us, at least they shouldn't be. And this is really, really good news. This is good news. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news to the world. The question is, is the church a place of radical unity? Is it on display in our small groups? Is it on display on the weekends in the seats of our church? Are we a place of hope for the world? You know, Francis Schaeffer, he says, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Oh boy. <laughs> Christian community is the final apologetic. Hmm. So we're in a series right now, and it's called Who Do We Think We Are? And we are studying the book of Ephesians. It is just a wonderful, wonderful letter. It's written by the Apostle Paul, which really just means he was a church planner. And he's writing this to the Ephesians in Ephesus, which is now like modern-day Turkey. And today we're looking at the last part of chapter 2, beginning on into chapter 3. And if you remember what Andrew said at the beginning of the series... He said in, in chapters 1 through 3, there's this theme of our identity, our identity in Christ, and, and that's what we're asking ourselves in this series, aren't we? We're asking ourselves the question, who do we think we are, church? Who do we think we are? And what we'll see today is that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus, in Jesus, we are not only reconciled to God, but we are radically reconciled to one another to one another. So let's pray. Let's pray. Well, Holy Spirit, we do. We ask for your presence to come close this morning. God, we need you. We just confess we need you. Hmm. Would you come close? We, we pray that you would soften our hearts, Lord. Soften our hearts right now. And, and I'm, I just want to be honest. I feel like I'm overloaded with the voices and the opinions of this world, and I pray that you would just settle that right now in the name of Jesus, that your voice would be the voice that we hear today. God, your voice, that it would be your heart that we see, God. Let this time not just be about us being right in our own eyes, God, but help us to see ourselves and others through your eyes, your eyes, God. Would you draw us in with your compassion and kindness and Remind us of your truth, that it would soften our hearts and make us more like you. We give you this time, Jesus. Pray you would get the glory and the praise. Amen. Amen. Well, let's just dive into our passage this morning. It's in Ephesians 2. We're starting in verses 11 and 12. It says, Therefore, remember, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision— which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. 
What Paul first starts out with is he says, remember. He says it twice. He says, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. You were separated from God and you were separated from others. And last week, Michael hinted at this. He, he talked about this in the first part of chapter two, how lost we are and how found we are in Jesus. Do we remember what we were like before Jesus? I think it's healthy and good for us to remember what our lives were like before we met Jesus. Uh, can you say that about yourself? Can you say, I remember where I came from? I remember what I was like uh, when I wasn't in that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus? William Hendrickson, he says, we were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. And this is where he gets that from. And to the Gentiles, this was a really hard reminder. The paint was still a little wet on this one. To be a Gentile really meant anyone who is a non-Jew, which is most of us, right? And, and they were thus circumcised. Um, they, that's what characterized most Jewish men, and, or all Jewish men, and, and they, were, they were the uncircumcised. And here's this reminder of their exclusion, of their exclusion of how lost they were without God, how separated they were because of their differences. And see, Paul is starting to transition here from that vertical dimension of the gospel, beginning in chapter 2, to the horizontal dimension of the gospel. And, and it's not one or the other, is it? It's definitely both. Because what we know is the greatest commandment that Jesus both reminded us of is that he says, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. And the second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And the only way to really love others well, to love others at all, is to see, to see, and to see the way that Jesus sees them, to see through his eyes, is to first see ourselves as Jesus sees us, to receive his love so that we can give it, to remember what Jesus has done for us. We've got to remember. We've got to remember. Dr. Brian Lawrence says, you will never appreciate the beauties of Christ as long as you don't have a healthy rear view mirror perspective of the sin that God has saved you from and is saving you from. It's the great leveler, isn't it? It humbles us. When Paul continues then in, in verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So first we remember where we came from, and then we remember what Christ has done, what Christ has done. And I love how it starts. It says, but now. It starts with these two little words, but now. And these are, these are two great words, by the way, really great words. I mean, think about the hope that they bring, but now. And this is cool. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he was actually a brain surgeon, or heart surgeon, sorry. He was a heart surgeon, and he became a preacher at the Westminster Church in England, of all places. And he preached a whole sermon on these two words. Can you imagine that? Like one day, Michael, I would love to just preach a whole sermon on just two words. I think that's awesome. Two words, but now. And this is what he says. He says, you know, everyone can say that I have known sickness. I've known difficulty. I've known loss. I've known heartbreak. I know what guilt feels like. Everybody can say that. But only the follower of Jesus can say, but now into the darkness, light has Come. But now, into my guilt, forgiveness has come. But now, into my depression, hope has come. Boy, I mean, 
I want more of those two words in my life, <laughs> right? Amen. <laughs> I want more of those words in my life. You know, it, it says that in Christ, we've been brought near. We've been brought near. And, and first, remember, he says, your exclusion, but now remember your inclusion. Remember what Jesus has done for you. You're in Christ now. And, and those two words, in Christ, are repeated so many times in the book of Ephesians. I think he's trying to get at something here. <laughs> to be in Christ means to be in union with Christ. And if you think about it, this really makes Christianity unique uh, because not really, really no religion can say that. Um, uh, and think about it, Buddhists don't say, I'm in Buddha, that they have an intimate relationship with Buddha. They don't say, you know, Muslims don't say that they are in relationship with Muhammad. They're in Muhammad. They don't say that. Um, but in Christ, as Christians, that's what we say. That's what we mean. We mean that we're in this life-giving, abiding, personal relationship with Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. See, Christianity is, is not primarily a moral improvement program. And if that's what you've bought into, well, I'm sorry, but that's not what it's about. <laughs> Christianity is not, I used to be a bad person and now I'm a good person. That's not the goal. And that's not why we're Christians. Rather, it is, I used to be far from Jesus. I used to be really far. I was lost, but now I'm found. Now I'm close to Jesus. Now I've been brought near. And it's not because of anything I've done, but it's because of what Christ did for me. It's that beauty of being in relationship with Jesus, and, and not just with Jesus, but with others. There's this extension of, of the gospel into not just our own relationships with God, but into the world. And, and he says, brought near. And if you, you know what those words mean, that brought near, actually, it was another way of saying that you were converted to Judaism. Back in the day, there were, there were people that would say, can I be brought near to God? And that meant they wanted to become a Jew so that they could be near to God like the Jews were because the Jews had the law, right? They had the law. They were God's chosen people. And the Gentiles knew that they were far away. They were far away. But now in Jesus, now in Jesus, you didn't have to become a Jew to be brought near to God. You only needed Jesus himself. And I don't know about you, but you realize, like, the Jews didn't like that. They didn't like that fact. That was a problem for many Jews in that time because they had taken the blessing of God's favor and they had elevated it. And it had become this cultural pride, this cultural pride that allowed them to exclude others. Right? They were supposed to be a blessing to the nations, and yet they took that blessing and they used it to create a dividing wall. <clears throat> Let's keep reading in in Ephesians 2, 14 through 18, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you, you who are far away, and peace to those of you who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You see, circumcision and all the laws, they were this massive wall of division and hostility for the Jews. And hostility 
is simply a word for like hate. But if you dig a little deeper, it, it's more broad than that, actually. It's, <laughs> if you think about yourself, you're like, well, I'm not a hateful person. And then you dig into the definition, and you're like, ouch. It's really just any reason for opposition. That's, that's, I, can, I, can, I can identify with that. And the Jews, for them, that opposition had been so great over so many years that it had just grown into this resentment and this hate uh, for the Gentiles. And, and Paul is pointing back here in this passage, he's referring to the wall that was in the temple. It was in the t- Some of you remember in the temple in Jerusalem, there were four courts and they were all separated by walls. And the outermost court, the outermost court was the court of the Gentiles. And then you moved inward and then it was the court of the women. And then you moved inward one more wall and it was the court of the Jews, Jewish men. And then, then it was the court of the priests. And then you had the Holy of Holies, right? You had greater levels of intimacy. But it was divided by walls of race and gender and ethnicity and even religion. And, and it's interesting, in 1871, some archaeologists actually discovered a remnant of the dividing wall that separated the courts of the Gentiles from the other courts. And on the wall, there were some really strong, provocative words. It was both in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, so that you wouldn't be confused. And it said, do not proceed any farther on fear of death. For fear of death. And they took it pretty seriously, don't you think? See, the Jewish people were supposed to be that light to the nations. They were supposed to show the nations what godliness looked like through these laws and regulations, but that's not what happened. And over time, that just became their basis for hostility. See, the Jews despised the Gentiles for not having the law, and they despised them so much that Gentiles were even, Jewish people were, were were told that they were outlawed to even, you know, touch a Gentile, let alone help them. Um, there was an example of, you know, Gentile woman, like, you know, being in labor. We, we, Jews aren't even allowed to help another Gentile baby come into the world. I mean, it was really dark. <laughs> it, the hate had just grown and grown between these two ethnicities and this good gift, this good gift that God had given them just became this occasion for hate. And, and I think that this is just an example of the reality, the universal reality, that, that when, I think this, this is just in our human hearts, this is in us, is that when we take something good, uh, the good gifts, the talents, the strengths from God, and we elevate them, <laughs> we elevate them up to be this absolute value And then we look down on everybody else because they don't have it. (laughs) And it causes us to despise them. I think this particularly is true for for groups of people, tribes, races, cultures, classes, sects of people. The way that we identify ourselves, the way that we define ourselves and and get our self-worth is we take what's good and distinct about us and we lift it up and then we take a look at everybody else below us, <laughs> and uh, we judge everybody else because they don't have those things. And, and we say, oh, well, we're not like them, right? We're not like them. And this is, this is who we are. We can get our identity by what? By building walls, dividing walls to mark our boundaries, to create a sense of self, and consequently to exclude others. To exclude others. I mean, what, what is it that you define yourself by? 
What are the things that you define yourself by? Maybe it's that I'm part of this country or that I am, um, I am a single person or I'm a married person or maybe it's I'm a stay-at-home mom or I'm a working mom or maybe I'm, I have a PhD or I have you know, a, this incredible career. What are the strengths and the, the things that define you? If think about those things. It's worth asking the Lord, have I elevated that way above you? Have I elevated that and have I excluded others unknowingly even? You know, there's this interesting prayer um, of a Pharisee in Luke 18, 11. The prayer is pretty blunt. He says, oh, thank you, Lord, that I am not like other people. <laughs> that I am not like other people. I mean, this is the essence of, of the wall of hostility that Jesus came to break down. That's the wall that he came to break down. You know, the gospel eradicates any right that we have to look down on others and exclude them. It does. You know, Rita, Rita Snowden, she had this beautiful story of, of back in the war, and, and she tells the story of in France, some soldiers, some soldiers with their sergeant brought the body of their dead comrade to a French cemetery to have him buried. And the priest told them gently that he was bound to ask if their comrade had been baptized um, adherent to the Roman Catholic Church. And they said, well, we, you know, we don't know. We, we just don't know. And the priest said that he was very sorry, but in this case, he could not permit burial in his churchyard. So the soldiers took their comrades, sadly, and buried him just outside the fence. And the next day, they came back to see if the grave was all right, and to their astonishment, they couldn't find it. They couldn't find it. And search as they might, they couldn't find any trace of the freshly dug soil. And, and as they were about to leave in bewilderment, the priest came up and he told them that his heart had been so troubled all night. And because of his refusal to allow their dead comrade to be buried in his churchyard, so early in the morning, he had risen from his bed and with his own hands, he had moved the fence to include the body of the soldier who had died for France. Hmm. <laughs> That's what love can do. That's what love can do. You know, rules and regulations, they put up that wall, but, but love, love moved it. Love moved it. You know, the ground, I love saying this, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, isn't it? You know, the moment that we take a step up from our brothers and sisters and we look down on them, that's the moment that we resurrect that barrier of superiority that Jesus came to, te to tear down. That's that's what he came to tear down. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And he continues, Paul continues in verse 15. He says, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, reconcile them both to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. I mean, there, if you look at this word new, you know, there's a, there's a couple different words that in the Greek, you can use for the word new, and, and there's one word that's called, it's neos, and, and it, it's the word that speaks of something new as, as in uh, it relates to time, but that's not the word that Paul uses here. Paul uses the word kainos, and it speaks of something that's so new that the world doesn't even have a category for it yet. I mean, that's, that's new. That's really new, and it can be that summed up by the concept of invention, so Neos is the, the latest MacBook Pro, <laughs> and Kainos is the first computer ever invented, the first computer ever invented. Neos is the latest jet to come off the assembly line, super fast, super sleek, but Kainos is the Wright brothers on Kitty Hawk. 
Yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's the kind of new that Jesus is talking about here. And, and Jesus produces this new kind of person, one out of both, but he doesn't make Jew Gentile and he doesn't make Gentile Jew, right? He doesn't just squash all their identity markers, blotting out all their distinctions or characteristics, but he makes them into one nation defined first and foremost by being a follower of Jesus. See, when you get married, uh, like in any marriage, they talk a lot about the two becoming one. Uh, but when I got married to Adam, I didn't become Adam. <laughs> I didn't start spiking my hair and dressing all cool. And, you know, like I, I didn't. I was still Heather. <laughs> but it was this place, those differences became this beautiful place of relationship and intimacy. It's where we learn to lean on each other. It's where we learn to appreciate each other uh, and need each other. And it became a place of transformation, at least with you, you let it. I used to joke that Adam is a tool, and I don't mean that in a way that's derogatory, but I mean it in the way that I remember a second year of marriage, and I was complaining about Adam to the Lord, and he said, well, he's a tool that I am using in your life to get at stuff in you that you would not let me get to otherwise. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and if we're soft to Jesus, boy, can't he use the people that are different from us to change us and grow us. Oh, he can. See, a new humanity is, is not just some like cool club or sport or organization. That's not what the church is. <laughs> we're not just some cool club, <laughs> even though we want to be. When you share the same race and culture, it affects every area of your life. When you are a part of a new nation, it affects you in so many thousands of ways. There are thousands of little connections that you have with those people. You feel strongly connected to them. When you become a Christian, there is a, just, this it becomes the most profound thing about you. It's, uh, it kind of relativizes everything else, all the other distinctions. It's this deeper, more extensive connectedness, and it breaks down barriers. It breaks down barriers. In Galatians 3:28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, see, I, I lived in Europe in the last semester of college, and I remember being so excited to just be on an adventure in a country I'd never been in before, and I was just enamored with the culture. I thought it was so cool, but a couple weeks later... I was there for about six months, so a couple weeks into it, the rose-colored glasses started to fall off, and I realized, boy, this is my home for the next six months. <laughs> and I realized something that you don't necessarily see when you only go travel there. When you live there, if you've lived in Europe especially, you realize how dark it is. It's very post-Christian. Um, it is a really dark place, and this kind of depression started to settle, and I was like, whoa, this is, this is hard. I do not feel comfortable here. I feel, you know, just really heavy all the time. And, and the Lord, out of his wisdom, probably was like, yeah, you just need to get part of church. And so I, I started looking, and I found this small little international church. And guys, there was nothing about this church that was like me, other than the fact that we all lived in Rotterdam and we spoke English. That was like the two common factors. I walked in that place, people totally different from me, and I felt like I was home. I felt like I was finally home. And I remember just the joy, just like, oh, just like oozed out of me. I was like, I'm so, 
so grateful to be here. And, and I got to be a part of a small group. And I kid you not, we were from England, we were from Hungary, from Ukraine, from Kenya, from Canada, from America. I mean, we were like a truly international small group. And it was just a stark, beautiful picture of diversity and unity at work in the church. You know, it is so easy. I know how easy it is to want to define ourselves by our strengths, what makes us different from one another. But in Christ, the very way that we think about ourselves is restructured. It should be restructured. He re reshuffles the layers of our identity deck. He reshuffles them. Everyone has things that they're proud of that makes us just what we are, who we are, proud of our ethnicity, proud of our careers, proud of our education, our families, our backgrounds. These are good things. But when you give your life to Jesus Christ, it relativizes everything else, doesn't it? Those things pale in comparison to this amazing truth that you are now a son and daughter of Jesus Christ. That is what links us together. We are no longer locked into our cultures, our professions, and our politics. Well, that's not what we need anymore to feel good about ourselves because we now have Jesus. We now have Jesus. You know, Dr. Charles Montgomery said it well. He said, anytime your culture gets in the way of your Christianity, you are guilty of idolatry. Oh, boy. And an idol is anything or any thought or any idea or any individual that tries to usurp your identity in Jesus Christ. Mm. See, Paul believes that the way that we behave generates and flows out of who we think we are, our identity, the kind of person that we are. Who do we think we are, church? Who do we think we are? And then Paul ends in verses 19 through 22. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. You know, see, Paul reminds us here then, lastly, of who we have become, who we have become. And he uses these three vivid pictures. He describes this new humanity as a city, as a family, and a building. A city, a family, and a building. The city is where we are all citizens. We are fully members, no half members, no outsiders, no foreigners anymore. We are fully members. And as a family, we're all sons and daughters. We are sons and daughters. And as a building, oh, this is, even, this is even closer to home. As a building, we're each integral parts of the structure sandwiched together by a little stucco, right? <laughs> we're all next to one another. And God is building his temple with us and filling it with his spirit. I mean, it's a beautiful picture. And there's this unavoidable proximity <laughs> and intimacy that we now have with each other, right? We, we don't get to pick our family. <laughs> and so we're, you know, we, we feel the, the, the tension of that sometimes. Sometimes it's messy, um, but Christ knows that. He knows that. You know, see, he's creating this new people that, that's a group that's not just some isolated individuals walking out their own faith with God. That's actually so not in line with the scriptures when it talks about our Christianity. We cannot be a stone apart from the building. 
And we cannot be a daughter separated from our family. We cannot be a refugee away from the country. The New Testament knows nothing of this lone ranger Christianity. And it really, really starts to confront our Western individualism, doesn't it? And also our views on diversity, because God's heart is that we are a church for every, every kind of background, every kind of culture, every kind of education, every kind of family, every kind of tribe and tongue. And that we have been reconciled and redeemed to God and each other. This is this radical unity and diversity that is a corporate fruit of the gospel of Jesus. And uh, as the worship team starts to come back up, I want to close with this verse in chapter 3. This verse in chapter 3, it's in uh, verse 6, and it says this. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Jesus Christ, which is just what we've been talking about. But he, re- he repeats this word, mystery, numerous times in this passage. And when we hear this word, mystery, what do we think? In the English language, what we think is, oh, well, mystery is something like obscure and like kind of incomprehensible, and it can't really be understood. But that's actually not what mystery means here. It means, mystery means that it is something that was not known that is now known. That's what mystery means here. Nobody knew about it at all, and now it's in the public. It's open to the public. It's out there for everybody to see. That's what he's talking about when he talks about this mystery. And the question for us is, is this mystery, that love and mercy and grace of God, for all mankind, is that evident to all? Is that evident to those who look into our church? Is that evident? You know, it it isn't enough for us to just show up at church, just to come to church. We need to ask God, God, are we acting like the church? Are we acting like the church? Are we being intentional and welcoming all people from all backgrounds? Are we willing to sit and listen and grow in our understanding of those who are different from us? You know, I just want to shamelessly plug small groups, but small groups are a great way to do this. They are a great way to be intentional about doing life with people that are different from you and eat a meal with them and get to know them. And so when you look at that small group wall in the lobby, don't just look for a group that looks like you. You know, and, and man, I'm not saying start going to women's group or anything. Okay, yeah, but uh, but I'm saying look for for a group where you're like, I would love to learn from those people. I would love to like hear what they have to say and sit and have a meal with them. I mean, that is one of the beauties of hospitality, isn't it? Is opening up your home to people that are different from you and sharing a meal together and learning from one another. You know, my old small group that used to meet in my house, uh, they were just this conglomeration of people. And I remember many times I would sit back or stand back and it would just catch me. I'd be watching them all hanging out in my kitchen. And I just laughed to myself and I think, there is no way that these people would ever know each other apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus. And that's, that's what we need to be asking ourselves. Is that true of our church? And when people look in here and they see us and they start to learn about who we are and, and they go, man, how do these people even know each other apart from Jesus? Well, 
Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.